How's everyone doing? This is Pastor Luke, and uh, we are starting a series uh, with moving forward with our finances. So here we are with the first week with Pastor Aaron. Hope you all enjoy. Good morning. Do this with me. Grab your Bibles and turn them to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be getting a new series today. I'm super, super, as my son would say, super duper excited about this new series. Anybody here ever been in a club before, like a club you had to like apply to get in and you've been in like a, a cl- like four of you? Okay, you've been in a club. All right, participation at its finest this morning. Been in a club and um, uh, my, my family and I, we are going to Disneyland in a couple weeks and there's like this special club there. It's called, I think it's called Club 33 or something like that. You got to pay a ton of money to even get on the waiting list. And then if you get on the waiting list, then you got to like wait forever to actually get accepted. And the only way to get into the club is if you know somebody. And then really the only benefit you get is you get to eat at like this really uh, nice restaurant. So you spend all this money to go eat at a cool restaurant. Um, but, but there's clubs of all different types. There's, there's in school, there's the drama club, there's the glee club, uh, there's chess club, uh, which I'm a big chess player. Any chess players here? My son is uh, way into chess, and uh, we've been going uh, through learning how to play chess, and he actually joined the chess club uh, a couple months back. And uh, super excited about it, and he went for his first time at the chess club, and uh, he came back, and he's like, Dad, I've learned how to play chess. I'm good. I don't ever need to go back again. And I was like, son, you know nothing about chess. You're going to take years to learn how to play chess. You've got to go back and study and lose many, many, many times at playing chess before you learn how to play chess. And there's other types of clubs. There's like a Mustang club or a Corvette club. Uh, or there's like a country club. Like you pay money at for a golf course. You can play golf as much as you want. And uh, you get certain perks. And then there's like unofficial clubs. Like is anybody here part of like the essential oil club? Anybody here in the essential oil club? Like is it just my wife and Sarah? Anybody else in the essential oil club? Yeah. Like if you don't know what essential oil is, like... Um, it's basically you spend a lot of money to get oil that smells like something that cures your body. It sounds insane, and to me, the jury is still out. Like, if I've got a cut on my arm, like, you go get this oil that smells like oregano, and you, like, put it on your skin, and you smell like pizza, and all of a sudden, like, your cut goes away. Or if you can't breathe, like, you bathe in this breathe oil. It's supposed to open up your pores and your nose, and all of a sudden, you can breathe. Like, these people are fanatics, and not only that, but then you spend like $60 on not a bottle like this, a bottle like this, $60 on a one-inch bottle. Like, I don't know if they know how to make bottles that are any bigger. This, these people are fanatics, and this is a club. And, and I think oftentimes as believers, we feel like when we accept Jesus into our heart that we, in a sense, are joining a club. That we're, we're joining a club that has similar perspectives, similar values, similar morals. Thus, we've signed our name and we've joined this club. But see, the problem with that is, is that when you accept Jesus, you aren't joining a club. When you accept Jesus, you are making the decision to say, I am going to be a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. And see, the challenge is, is that like, if, you, if you're a part of a Corvette club, like, there's one requirement. Thank you. 
Thank you. How we feeling this morning? How we feeling? We need to like, like, awake. You need a Corvette to be in the Corvette club. There's one requirement. Doesn't matter what your religious preferences are. Doesn't matter your morals. Doesn't matter your values. All you need is a Corvette. See, the difference with being a disciple is that everything else still matters. How you view life. The words that you say, the things you pursue, your marriage, your children, everything about your life still matters. See, as a disciple, you're making the decision to say, I want all of my life, I want everything to point towards Jesus. I can't separate one thing out from another. I can't choose to say, well, that feels uncomfortable, so I'm not going to worry about it. As a disciple, I'm saying that every area in my life, I want Jesus to be a part of. Every area. Part of our job as pastors here is to not create an environment that feels like a social club where you can just come sign your name on the line, give money each month as your dues, and all of a sudden you're part of the, part of the club. That's not what this is. This is a discipleship. This is when you come into the promised church, you're saying, I want my life to represent that of Jesus. Every area. Every area of my life, and this is something that we've been on a process through just for already the two months of this year, is this is a year where we believe that God is asking us to move forward, where we're, it's time to not stand still, it's not time to be stagnant, it's not time to be complacent, but it's time to actually move forward in different areas in our lives. Does anybody here who's already begun to move forward in different areas in your life? You're saying, I'm not going to stay stuck, I'm not going to stay stagnant, I'm going to begin to take a step and move forward. And we're going to begin a series today that's going to be about moving forward in your finances. Moving forward in your money. And the title of this series is this. Do you have swag? Now turn to your neighbor, look at him, especially if you're married. Look at him with those eyes and say, baby, you got swag? Do you got swag? Now look at him. If you don't know what swag is, you probably don't have it. Ha <laughs> ha. Do you got swag? Now, swag stands for this. Steward well, accumulate aggressively, and give generously. That each and every one of us needs swag in our finances. We need to steward well, we need to accumulate aggressively, and we need to give generously. And many of you in this room, maybe you're thinking, why are we talking about money in church? And if there's any way that a Pentecostal church like this one can get really quiet, it's if we talk about two things, sex and money. Now, you had a 50-50 chance this morning that we were going to talk about sex. Fortunately, we're talking about money. We're going to begin to talk about money, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, now, why, why, do, why do we talk about money in church? Why do we need This is about Jesus. This is about the gospel. This is about peace and hope. I'm telling you, Jesus talked more about money than he did most other things. In fact, 16 out of the 38 parables was about money or possessions. Jesus cares about your money, not because he wants it. Did Jesus talk about money because he wanted your money? Am I talking about money because I want your money? No, Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and he knew in order to get to your heart, oftentimes he had to go through your money. He had to go through your money. Jesus cares not only about how you give, but also what you do with what you keep. 
He cares about how you steward your finances. He cares about how you spend your money. He cares about how you save your money. Did you know in Scripture it actually talks about paying your taxes? It actually talks about paying your taxes. Did you know it actually talks about debt, about keeping a budget, about investing? Did you know it talks about investing in Scripture? It talks about stewardship. It talks about accumulating. It talks about giving. It talks about tithing. It talks about many different principles as it pertains to money. But too often, and, and this is a very real thing, oftentimes we've been with, under a pastor, we've heard a preacher, and, and he's manipulated the topic of money. Now, this is a very real thing. He's, he's, he or she's manipulated finances, and they've leveraged, or they've, they've caused you to feel uh, uh, weird or, or off by, by the message that they've preached. And, and I've been in that exact same environment before. And one thing I've learned is that my experience can never define my theology. That just because I heard somebody abuse truth does not make the truth wrong. And what we're going to begin to do as the church is we're going to begin to look at what the Bible says about finances. Because I want every person here to be good stewards of what God has entrusted them with. There's a battlefield on your finances. There's a battlefield that you are on every day when it comes to the money that you have. And too often believers are getting killed on that battlefield. They're losing day after day after day after day. And we'll say statements like, well, I tithe. Well, I tithe, but at the same time, you're struggling with envy, you're struggling with jealousy, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with pride, you're struggling with bitterness to the Lord because he didn't answer the prayer the way you thought he would. And so on that battlefield of finances, we think that our only weapon is simply giving. That is not your only weapon. Your only weapon is not giving. You have two sides of the coin when it comes to your finances. It's called generosity and it's called stewardship. And God wants to bless you. God desires to bless you, but he's looking for people who are not only generous, who are not only givers, but who are stewards with what God has given them. Stewards with what God has given them. God wants to bless you. God wants, I'm going to say it really loud. God wants to bless you. It's not weird. That's not hypocritical. It's not hypocrisy. God desires to bless you. It's not manipulative. God desires to bless you. Why? Because he loves you, and so you can be a blessing to others. Why does God want to bless you? Because he loves you, and so that you can be a blessing to others. See, money by itself is not bad. Money is not bad. Money is neutral. Right? And many times we've heard the scripture that says money is the root of all evil. We've heard that scripture. That's actually holding out the first few words of that verse, which says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Money by itself is neither good nor is it bad. It's a tool. It's a resource. How it is used genuinely defines whether it's used for a good thing or whether it's used for a bad thing. But money by itself is neutral, and God desires, God wants to bless you. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I have for you, plans to do what? Prosper you. Prosper me. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to be blessed. He has plans to prosper you and to give you hope. This is the God that wants to bless you. 
And in Genesis 12, hopefully you're there. I gave you enough time. In Genesis 12, it says this. It says, I will make, now this is God, he's speaking to Abraham. Okay, God is speaking to Abraham here and he's saying, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Now notice that the idea of blessing was God's idea here. I will bless you. God is saying, I will bless you, Abraham. And make your name great. And here's the reason why. So you shall be a blessing. I will bless you. Why? So you can be a blessing. Now, Robert Morris is a pastor, and he has this statement he says often. He says, we don't give to get. We get to give. And this phrase should be something you should put, like, whenever you log into your budget or whenever you open up a bank account, it should be there. It says, I don't give to get. I get to give. Will we get when we give? Absolutely, but that's not the reason why. We give because it's a privilege to partner with the Lord. Because as I take on the image of Christ, as I take on the mind of Christ, I want to live like he did. And he was the ultimate giver. He was the one who gave everything he had for me when I didn't deserve it. He gave his one and only son. He died on the cross and gave everything for me. So as I want to become more like him, I in turn, I give not because I want to give back. There's no strings attached. It's simply to say I want to give because I love. I want to give because I want to resemble my Jesus. We give because it's a privilege. We get to do this. And the sooner we realize this principle, giving and generosity and tithing is really easy. We get to give. Now there was a book, many of you may have heard this, it was called The Prayer of Jabez. It came out about 20 years ago. Anybody ever heard of this book? It's a tiny little book. It was written on basically two scriptures in the Bible, and it's 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. It says, Now Jabez, who was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Notice he is asking God to bless him. Oh, God, that you would bless me. He's asking the Lord to bless him. And enlarge my territory. Another way to say it is increase my income. Oh God, that you would bless me and increase my income. That your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. That I may not cause pain. Or to be said another way, that I may be a blessing to others. Oh God, that you would bless me and increase my income so that I can be a blessing to others. That I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. So the question you have to ask yourself is, if Jabez asked to be blessed, was that a bad prayer? Was that a bad prayer? And if it was a bad prayer, then why did God answer it, and why did God call him honorable? See, God wants to bless you, and it's not wrong to ask to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. It's not materialism. It's simply saying that, God, I want to be a funnel from the wealth of heaven so that it can go into my life and it can go out to others. God, I don't want stuff just for me. I want resources so that I can give them away, that you and I are actually called to be investors into the kingdom of God, to say, God, you can trust me. I'll manage what you give me well, and I'll give it away. God, bless me so I can be a blessing. This is is what you and I are called to do. Amen? <laughs> this is, the, this is the what I hear often from people is that they'll say, well, I, I'll be generous when I actually have more money. More money is not your solution. Because the problems you have with little, you'll have with a lot. 
I've worked with people throughout the last 10 years that have had, they've, had, they've made 50 grand a year or they've made 5 million a year. It doesn't matter. The same problems that a $50,000 a year person has is the same problems that a $5 million person a year has. They will follow you. Your same spending habits will follow you. Your same debt habits will follow you. It does not matter. More money is not the problem. If you can't learn how to manage well a little, you won't receive a lot. And oftentimes people will say, well, I tithe, but I'm still in debt. I, I tithe, but my finances are still a mess. Why? Why? Why isn't God fixing it for me? And see, it's like my son, Israel, he, he plays basketball. And when he wanted to play basketball a year or so ago, it would almost would not never played. It would be like if I went to the store and I bought him a basketball, put it in his hand, I said, now you're ready. But see, he doesn't know how to pass, he doesn't know how to shoot, he doesn't know how to rebound, he doesn't know how to dribble, he doesn't know plays, he doesn't understand defense. Just the ball in your hand doesn't equip you. You've got to learn what to do with it. See, oftentimes we're like, if I can just get more balls in my hand, if I can just get more money in my hand, it's going to solve all my problems. More money is not your issue. It's learning what to do with what you have. See, why would God bless you more if you can't steward what he's already given you? If you can't manage well what God has entrusted you with, why would he give you more? Why would he give you more? And there's this scripture that we're going to be reading a lot over these next few weeks, and it's out of Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 10 through 12, and it says this, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous man, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now in this first verse it says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Meaning, if you can't be faithful in small, you won't be faithful in much. If you can't be diligent with the little, you won't be diligent with a lot. If you can't be generous with small, you won't be generous with a lot. And then the next verse it says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now what's the unrighteous mammon? The unrighteous mammon is money. The unrighteous mammon is possessions, it's natural. And he's saying if you can't learn how to be faithful with the money that you've been entrusted with, if you can't be faithful with the possessions that God has given you, why would you be able to receive the true riches that God has in store? What are the true riches? It's everything eternal. It's health. It's strong relationships. It's strong marriage. It's good children. It's, it's, it's having people to disciple. It's salvations around you. It's seeing people healed when you pray for them. That's the true riches. This is what we all desire. And God is saying, I'm preparing you for that over here here in the natural and I want you to learn how to manage well I want you to learn how to steward well so that I can give you the true riches that God has in store for you and oftentimes we're in this place where we're let me give you an example we're asking God over here we're saying God I just want somebody to disciple I just want to disciple somebody somebody to look at me and say I just want to learn from you I want to grow from you but yet over here let's look at your car your car, the oil has never changed, it's dirty, it's messy. Doesn't matter how new it is, it's not taken care of. And God's saying, why, if you can't take care of that, why would I give you a person to take care of? Why would I give you someone to disciple if you can't even take care of your car? 
This is a training ground. This is a preparation place for God to begin to equip you. It's not about having more money. Listen to me. This is not a message about how to get more money. Nothing to do with it. This is about being a steward of what God has given you. Not so I can get more money, so I can receive things that are eternal. And if I think we're honest with ourselves, many of us are in this place where we're we're looking at the money and the resources we have, and oftentimes we'll stick our head in the sand, or we choose ignorance, or or it's too difficult, so we just don't know what to do, or, or we're allowing envy and pride or fear to come in, and we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle in the unrighteous mammon, and so we, we're wondering, why, is not, why are we not seeing the true riches in our life? And God's saying, because I'm still teaching you with the unrighteous mammon. God's preparing you. And we're going to go through that verse over the next few weeks, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of very practical things in Scripture about how to equip you so that every person in this church is being victorious on this battlefield in your finances, that you've got swag in your finances, that you're stewarding well, that you learn how to accumulate. Why, why is accumulating important? Because you can't be generous if you don't accumulate. You need discretionary income. And we believe in that so much that we actually went, we purchased this book for every single person here in the church. This is a book called Beyond Blessed by Robert Morris. This book goes into great, great detail about how to be victorious in your finances, about the practical steps in your finances. The tagline on here is God's perfect plan to overcome all financial stress. Is there anybody here who would like to see financial stress removed in your life? I don't want it. I don't have time for it. I want financial stress to be gone. And we think that the only solution is giving. Giving is half of it. Stewardship is the other half. And this book is going to begin to show you godly principles in the word about how to steward what you have well. And we believe in it so strongly. We purchased a book for every single adult here. We want everybody in our church to read this book. And over the next month, we're going to be going through it in every small group. We're going to be discussing it. We're going to let you ask questions. We're going to be investigating these topics with you so that you can learn how to steward well in your finances. And I mentioned this before about discretionary income. You need to have discretionary income so that you can give generously. If you don't know what discretionary income is, you probably don't have it. Discretionary income is this. As a church, as the promised church, we function, we tithe on everything we receive, but we function at 90%. So if our budget is 100, if, if our income is 100, our budget is 90%. So we've got 10% of discretionary income. So that we can buy books for everybody here. So we can give, so we can invest, so we can do capital projects. So we've got a means to be generous. This is the way we need to live in our lives. And as we've lived that way, God has blessed us. He's poured out favor on us because we've stewarded what he's entrusted to us well. And this is how you and I, this is how we need to live in our life is we need to be implementing these types of principles so that God can look at us and say, that's not just somebody who's generous, that's somebody who's a good steward. I can entrust in them with true riches. Amen. How you doing? You feeling good about this? You came in, you're still thinking there's 50-50 chance. There's 50-50 chance. Of course, it was the wrong 50. I'm going to give you two points this morning that I feel like are kind of the foundation, the bedrock of finances. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get very practical. We're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about budgeting, things in Scripture. We're going to talk about multiplication. 
And these are Sundays you don't want to miss. Some of you are already thinking about, oh man, next week's a good week to go on vacation. Find a way to break through that awkwardness. This is so important because if we can't learn how to steward the unrighteous mammon well, we are foregoing the true riches. This is worth it. The awkwardness, the uncomfortableness. Don't let pride come in. Don't let pride come in and cause you to think, I don't want to let people know my mess. I'm telling you, I've seen mess after mess after mess. This is the common theme, is that people need to learn how to give, and they need to learn how to steward well. You're no different than probably half the people in this room. All of us need to learn how to give and how to steward well. And that's the focus of these next few weeks, to be inv investigate, study the Word of God. Amen? So point number one is God owns everything. You will never be a good steward until you understand the principle of ownership. You won't be a good steward. God owns everything. My wife and I, we got married about 10 years ago. We're celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary in October. Hallelujah. A decade into the mix. And uh, when, when we first got married, I was 21. I was just a little baby. She was a cougar. Hallelujah. And uh, she like pulled me out of the, the, the baby bed and said, I know you've never lived on your own, but it's time to come into adulthood. So I, I never lived on my own. I only lived with my parents. And then I went out into the great unknown of living on my own with my wife. Now, I grew up in, a, in an amazing family. My parents were awesome. My parents never made a lot of money, but they were very smart. I saw what good stewardship looked like. And they were able to afford me and Jonathan, my brother, so that we, we didn't pay rent. They paid for like our cell phone bill, our car insurance. They put food on the table. We, we didn't have to put money in. Well, the problem with that is, is that when I got married and I went out, I expected my parents to keep doing that. And that doesn't work. They're like, bro, you got married. You're on your own. I'm like, is there any sort of like residual taking care of? They're like, you're cut off. You're done. And so this process of putting our finances together in the same bank account. Let me say that again. This process of putting our finances in the same bank account, not separating them the exact same one at the same bank with the same debit card and the same checkbook, the same bank account. When we got married, we put it in the same bank account. When we got married, they went into the same bank account. Did you hear that part? Same bank account. If you don't understand how that works, come talk to me and I'll show you why that's good to do. We put it in the same bank account and I realized you spend a lot of money She's like, no, that's called a cell phone bill. I'm like, I thought those were free. Don't they just get provided to you? See, that's all, I, that's all I had known. And then she went shopping for groceries. Lord, have mercy. I was like, all we probably need a budget for food is just $150 a month, right? And she's like, yeah, if you want the diet of top ramen. She's like, you won't eat the way you want to eat. I said, that's foolishness. So she came home the first time from shopping with like 10 items. I'm like, what is that, like 50 bucks? She's like, no, 200. I'm like, you bought the wrong stuff. I know how to do this. She's like, prove it. So I did. I went to the grocery store. I got 10 items. I went to the checkout stand, and I looked at her. I said, this is only $80. And she said, hmm. It was like $220. Now we have this thing when we go shopping. We always guess how much is in the cart, like we do it every time. And guess who's always the lowest? This guy. I still cannot imagine how something is so expensive. And so very quickly we learned that 150 bucks a month wasn't going to cut it for food. We had to increase the budget a little bit. See, we understand this concept of ownership very well. 
right? When it's somebody else's money, spend all you want. When it's mom and dad's money, give me the best. But when it's my money, don't spend anything. We understand ownership very, very well. And at the core of understanding how to function in the kingdom of God with your finances, you've got to understand who owns it. And God owns it all. In Psalms 24, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. He owns it all, which means my marriage to my wife is not my marriage, it's his, and I'm stewarding it. My kids are not my kids, they're his kids, and I'm stewarding my children, which means it's even more important how I parent, because they're not just mine, they're his. My money is not my money, it's his money. I'm simply stewarding it for the Lord. Which means when he only asks for 10%, I'm like, awesome, because it's all yours. Thank you. It was only 10. Could have been 50. Hallelujah. In Psalms 50, it says this, for all the animals of the forest are mine. All of the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Pat referenced this earlier. I know every bird on the mountains, and I know all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not even tell you. I love that. If God was hungry, he's like, why would I tell you? I've got everything. For all the world is mine and everything in it. This is a revelation we got to get because oftentimes we're like, well, God just wants your money. He's like, it's all his anyways. He doesn't need your money. Amen. Amen. And this is what we do is we look at what we've got and we like so close fisted around it because we're like, ah, if I, if I happen to give the Lord a little bit of this, I'm never going to get anything back. So I got to hold on to it tight. But see, when we realize that it all came from him, from him anyways, we're like, oh, I can trust you with it because it didn't come from me in the first place. You want me to give it away? Great, you'll just give me more. You want me to be generous? Great, you'll just keep giving me more. And I can trust you because it all came from him to begin with. Not only does everything you have belong to him, but you belong to him. When you accepted Christ in your life, you gave ownership of yourself away. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And I'll even take that back. Not only when you, gave, but when you were born, you own, were owned by the devil. When you accepted Christ in your life, you are no longer part of this world. You're a part of a new world. And you were brought out of the old man and into the new man. And when I came into the new man, came into the new kingdom, I'm owned by God. My body belongs to him. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I want to say some of these words to my life, like, baby, your body, it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Sorry, that was the other 50%. We're not going down that road. Straight line, straight line. Who lives in you and who was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. You don't. You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You're not your own. Not only do what you have is not your own, but you are not your own. And when we realize that, it's really easy to give. Because, like, it's not mine to begin with. God's the only reason why I got here. My wife and I, over the past six months, God's been really challenging us to give extravagantly, like radical generosity to a place where it feels like, like I don't know if we can go that far. I know I remember one time just praying with the Lord, and I'll share some of these testimonies over the next few weeks. And, and uh, 
was praying, and I was just like, God, I don't know if I can do this. Like, what you're asking us to give is going to stretch us in a way we've never been stretched. And my kids are going to feel the effect. Like, my plans for my life are going to change because of this. And very sternly, the Lord looked at me. He's like, Aaron, everything came from me. And if at any time you want me to turn the faucet off, you just let me know. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> you know what? That's a great idea. I love it. Fact is probably not big enough, Lord. But when you start realizing that it all belongs to him, you're like, you're right. The only reason why I am where I am is because he got me here. Is there anybody here who can raise a hand and say, I am where I am because he got me here? I never knew I could make it this far. When I thought I wouldn't have enough, he was there for me. When I thought I was beat down and neglected and forgotten, there was somebody who never forgot me. And even when I didn't think I could pay that bill, even when I didn't think I'd survive, he was there every time. Every time. Point number one is God owns everything. Point number two is this. The first belongs to God. God owns it all. It's the first one. Number two is the first belongs to God. Exodus 13 verse one says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. Now notice this is God saying this. This is the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, It is mine. Give me the first it is mine. Exodus 23 verse 19 says this, the first of the first fruits. In other words, the tithe of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Notice he didn't say give. He said to bring. Now this is my cell phone. This is my cell phone with Jad on the back because that's how I roll. And if I wanted, I could not go bring this to Jonathan because it's mine. I would be giving it to my brother because it's mine. If it was his phone, throw me your phone. Don't throw it, hand it very lightly. If it was his phone, I couldn't give it to him. It's already his. I'm, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. So when it says in the scripture, put it back up there real quick, it says, you shall bring it into the house of the Lord your God. Bring, because it doesn't belong to me. It's already his. I'm not giving what, I, what doesn't belong. I'm bringing it back. I'm returning it to the Lord because he owns everything and he definitely owns the first. Genesis 4 verse 3 says this, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Notice it doesn't say first, just an offering. He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Why did he respect and accept Abel's offering? Because it was the first. Why did he not with Cain's? Because it wasn't. And see, many people will say this and say, well, we don't need the tithe because we're not under the law. And part of that statement is true, you're not under the law. But if you think that's license to kill, steal, and, and have adultery, then you're greatly mistaken. See, let me break it down like this. Cain and Abel were born and lived around 4,000 B.C. Around 4,000 B.C., okay? Cain and Abel. To create context, Abraham was around 2,000 B.C. 4,000 B.C., 2,000 B.C., and then Moses when the law came. 1500 BC. So 2500 years before the law was even thought of, 
the principle of tithing in the first was already known. Not only that, but in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, 500 years before the law, Abraham tithed. Why? Because he understood that the principle of giving your first came from the beginning of time where it never ends. It doesn't matter whether the law was instituted, whether Jesus died on the cross, it continues from eternity and on. God owns the first. And this principle works time and time and time and time again. In fact, if you read secular success books, which I've read many, many of them, nearly 100% of them will tell you, we don't know why, we don't know how it works, but when you give 10% of what you have, Somehow you get more. We can't even explain it. I'll tell you why it happens, because the principles of the kingdom of God will work no matter who uses them. They will always work. In Joshua chapter 7, we don't have time to read it this morning, but it talks about when you withhold the tithe from the Lord, you're actually stealing from him. You're stealing from him. How can you steal something that belongs to you? You can't. It's because it's his. In Malachi chapter 3, it says this, For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Therefore... You are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you have said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have even robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. It's the only place in all of scripture where God says you can test him. It's the only place in all of scripture where he says, put it up against the wall and ask me to prove it to you. This is him saying, ask me to prove it to you and I will prove this to you. Try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. This is what it's saying. When you tithe, when you choose to give the first, the 10% to the Lord, he will open up the windows of heaven over your life. Not only that, but he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. This is what happens. We can't explain it, but it works every single time. When you begin to tithe, when you begin to give, and it's the first, it's the first 10. When you begin to give it to the Lord, the windows of heaven open up over your life, and he rebukes the devourer for you. In Leviticus, Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, In all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now, the, see, tithe represents the tenth. And in scripture, ten is the number of a test. Where you see it all through scripture. And every time you get paid, you take a test. Will you believe that 100% on your own is better than 90% with the Lord? We take a test every time we get paid. Every time. And it's up to us to choose how we will pass that test. And the great thing about tithing is it's equal. Whether you make 50000 or $5 million, you're tithing the same because it's a percentage. It's not a dollar amount. This has nothing to do with making more money. This has nothing to do with giving an amount more than somebody else. This is a principle of a percentage to say, God, I will trust you with the first. See, in Scripture, they did not give. If they had 10 lambs, 10 lambs were born, they didn't wait to give the 10th because that didn't require faith. They gave the first before they knew if the 10 would ever live. They gave the first because it requires a step of faith to the Lord. 
And I know you might be saying, they're saying, well, these are great, but this is all Old Testament. Show me something in the New Testament. Show, if Jesus said it, then I would believe it. See, in Matthew 23, 23, we have red letters. Red letters. This is Jesus speaking. And he is speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done. Now watch it here without leaving the others undone. What's he saying? You should show the mercy. You should show the justice. But don't neglect to continue to tithe. This is Jesus speaking. If there was nothing else in all of Scripture, and this was all that was there, that should be enough. It's red letters. This is Jesus speaking. You ought to tithe. And see, you don't give for my sake, you aren't giving for the church. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This whole message is for you. This whole message, this whole series is for you because when you begin to create a life of giving and that giving comes from a life of stewardship, when you begin to give, it's actually more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I want to be a giver. I want to be somebody that sows into the kingdom of God. I want to be somebody that God can look at to say, hey, I can trust you with more because you're stewarding well what I've given you. Now I can give you more so that you can give it away. Doesn't matter whether you're retired and living on a fixed income or whether you're 18 years old and just beginning. These principles need to be implemented. Biblical principles by God that he put in scripture for you to apply to your life. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna investigate these. This morning, I wanted to give you two bedrock foundational principles to finances. And every single one of us, we make money. Money's a part of all of our lives. Oftentimes, we're like, why are we talking about money? Now, if everybody here was having a problem in their marriage, wouldn't it make sense for us to start talking about marriage? If everybody here was having problem, problems parenting, wouldn't we start talking about how to parent your children? So why should it seem weird that we talk about finances when people are having challenges in their finances? It should seem normal. We would not be doing a good job as pastors if we didn't do that. And so what I want to invite you into is a journey with us over these next couple of weeks as we investigate scripture. And as everybody leaves today, I want you to grab a copy of this book. We've got a book for every adult in this room. And begin to read this, begin to learn. This is not just a book about giving. This is a book about stewardship. It looks at both sides of the coin to say, God's not gonna bless me if I can't learn how to steward what I've been given. And if that sounds abrasive, that's scripture. Because he's saying if you can't learn how to be faithful with the unrighteous mammon, why would he give you true riches? He's looking for people who can be good stewards and faithful with what he's entrusted you with. Would you stand with me? You're all still here. It's a good sign. This is our commitment to you is that we will always preach the unadulterated truth that's the gospel. We're not a club. We're not just looking for a name on a piece of paper. We're looking for disciples. That's what God called you, it's what he called me to be, is disciples of him, and that means that every area of our lives should point towards him. If you're here today and you're struggling in your finances, or you may not even know what that means. You're like, I, I don't even know. Like, I haven't looked. I've chosen to just not even pay attention. You can begin that process today of moving forward in your finances. Ask for help. Humility is the first place. You've got to recognize the need for help. 
It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to feel embarrassed about. Ask for help. We have many people over the past few weeks who have begun to ask for help, and we begin to put them with other families or couples or individuals in the church for them to be held accountable, for them to process through and create a progress report and begin to make steps through this journey. There's a family here at our church who my wife and I met with a few years ago, and their finances were very challenging. They were in a lot of debt, a lot of debt. They didn't know how to get out of the place they were in. They were struggling. They never kept a budget. They didn't know even how to manage what God had given them, and they never tithed. And they looked at us and were like, how do we get out of this mess? And we basically said there's two principles. There's giving, there's tithing, and there's stewardship. And they were like, we can wrap our heads around the stewardship component. It's going to be difficult, but we don't know if we can tithe. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. And they asked us, well, if we tithe, we're going to go in debt. Is we're going to put it on a credit card. Is that what you want us to do? And I told him, I said, you know, I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. But what I can promise you is this, is that when you begin to obey this principle in Scripture, God will honor you. He does it every time. And a couple years later now, their debt is almost gone. They've got budgeting in their system. They've been tithing now for two years, and their finances look better than it's ever looked. Why? Because they simply begin to apply the principles in Scripture to their finances. Many of them are in this book. And next week, we're going to be talking about debt. We're going to be talking about investing. We're going to be talking about budgeting, all things found in Scripture. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to be here, to take notes. It's important. God cares about your money, how you handle it. Amen? I'm going to pray. Jeffrey's going to come up. And then as you leave, I want to ask you to grab a copy of this book. Read it. Each, so if you're married, husband and wife, grab each a copy. Like if my wife and I only had one book, she'd read it, and then I'd read it. She'd learn all the good stuff. She'd start making me feel bad. I'd be like, I don't want to read that book. So both of you read it at the same time. Read it together. Talk about it. Go to small group and discuss it. Amen? So, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would begin to, to work on our hearts. Father, that these foundational principles of ownership, Lord, that you own it all, and that you own the first and tithing. God, we ask that you would search us, God. God, we know that you're simply after our hearts. And God, we choose today to trust you with our finances. God, we ask that you begin to teach us. And for those in this room who are in places where they feel like there's no hope or they've been struggling or, or God, they're just looking for answers. God, I ask that you just give them peace. God, and you give them obedience and boldness to take that step, to ask for help, to begin to obey the principles in Scripture. God, and we realize it's not about more money. More money is not the answer, God, but obedience to your word, good stewardship, generosity, faithfulness. Lord, that's the answer. God, begin to teach us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.